Hey, it's Haley from the future here. I wanted to pop in really fast and let you know that this is a very old episode of mine. So please keep that in mind whenever you are listening. Please go ahead and check out some of my newer episodes because I have a ton of equipment now and I have editing software now and everything has improved quite a lot since the time of recording this episode. I have found that a lot of my negative reviews come from my older episodes, so please just keep that in mind. I am aware of the problems in these episodes, and I truly was doing the best I can. I was just recording on my iPhone, and I was editing from my phone as well, and it just really was not a great process for creating a super high-quality and produced podcast. So thank you so much for the grace that you're going to give me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please go ahead and listen to some of my newer episodes as well. Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. If you deal with chronic pain, muscle soreness, migraines, or menstrual cramps, I am so excited to share one of my favorite products with you. Jovi is a medicine-free way to erase discomfort by using nanocapacitors to change the way your nervous system processes pain. To put it simply, it absorbs pain and tells your brain to no longer feel the pain in the specific area where you're holding the patch. Now, I know this sounds too good to be true and like some type of sci-fi fantasy gadget. So Jovi offers a no questions asked 120-day money-back guarantee. I personally love Jovi and can feel it instantly working whenever I put it on any particular area where I'm feeling pain. So get rid of any pain today and invest in a Jovi patch that will last you through years of use. You can save 10% by using the code DOEIDENTIFY or by using the link in this episode's show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Doe Identify podcast. My name is Haley, and today I'm going to be talking about the Annandale Jane Doe. Now, this is actually my very first podcast episode ever, and it's actually the second time I'm recording it. The quality was just so bad for my first episode, and it was a little bit embarrassing. And I know people have grace with you when it's your first time doing anything, but I just felt like it was a little bit of an injustice to the story. So I wanted to re-record and get it just right. But first, since it is my first podcast episode, I do want to explain in detail my goals for this podcast and what I hope to accomplish with it. If you're not interested, I totally understand. Feel free to fast forward until I start talking about the Annandale Jane Doe. But my goals are to bring light and bring exposure to the victims who don't have a name. For a lot of the victims who were once Jane and John Doe's, normally they either didn't have family or their family didn't care about them or their family just assumed that they left them. Something about their family or their friends not really looking for them is normally the cause behind being a Jane or John Doe. And so I really want to advocate for them and spread the word of their stories and really share who they are, what they look like, where they were found, and maybe some defining features about them. 
With that being said, I don't really want to go so much into the crime or how they died as much as other podcasts do. Sometimes I feel like it kind of rides the boundary of being disrespectful to the victim with some podcasts, but in this case, I do really just want to focus on some defining features and obviously how they died because that is important to their story, but just not going into the gory graphic details as much. I don't want to make anyone get a sick stomach or anything. And so I hope that this episode mirrors the format that I will continue to have. I'm just going to go into how the Annandale Jane Doe was found, um, anything interesting about her body and any types of hint hint scars that she has, and then some theories. And then lastly, I'll finish up with my thoughts and some resources to help this Jane Doe as well as other Jane and John Doe's. So I'm going to just get into her story now that I've kind of gone on a little rant with my goals and my intentions for this podcast. So the Annandale Jane Doe committed suicide in the Pleasant Valley Memorial Park Cemetery in Annandale, Virginia. She was found December 18th, 1996, and she's also known as the Christmas tree lady because she was found with an eight inch Christmas tree. Now you'll find that this Jane Doe was found with so many different sentimental pieces with her. And so to me, it's just mind boggling that we haven't been able to identify her quite yet just because of all of the things left around her. So for example, she had clip-on earrings that were gold, but I'm not entirely sure if they were real gold, but she did have a 14 karat gold ring with four jade stones in it. She had bifocal glasses from a company called CSL, and we'll later discuss that this is a European brand. She also was found with a cassette tape a and two different cassettes with her. One was Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck and another was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And some reports say that she was listening to one of these while she died. I'm not sure which one and then some reports don't even mention it at all so I don't want to make any definitive statements there because there is a little bit of a discrepancy. But she also had two empty juice bottles. One was an American brand juice and then another was one strictly from Belgium at the time, which is a very important note for some of the theories. And she also had a new roll of masking tape and she was found on a sheet of plastic that seemed like she was trying to um, prevent any mess or anything like that. She It seemed like she was really trying to be respectful of the cemetery. So a little bit about her features. She had very beautiful gold curly hair. It's very, very striking when you see pictures of her, whether it be from pictures of the scene or it be pictures of the sketch that they made of her she had very beautiful hair and it was sort of like a pixie cut she was exactly five feet tall which is definitely on the shorter side and that would definitely be one of the defining features that would help identify her and at that time she would have been between 50 and 70 so today she would have been 74 to 94 just so you know in case you have a missing family member in that age range and something very important about the Annadelle Jane Doe, her clothing was very high-end. It was this classique, I don't even want to say the second word, I'm so uncultured, 
but it was a brand strictly from Nordstrom and it was best described as a working woman's attire. Someone who has a really great job and who makes a lot of money would go out and buy these pieces uh, that each piece was well over a hundred dollars and so I think that's definitely very important and her jacket was also an Addie Bauer jacket which is a fairly expensive brand even in today's standards. Many people described her as being very well put together. She had a Minnie Mouse fanny pack with her that was child-sized. It was about a pencil long, and for its width, it was probably half a pencil wide. She also had a poem with her, and this poem read, I lay me down to sleep, soon to drift to the eternal deep, and though I die and shall not wake, sleep sweeter will be than this life I forsake and many internet sleuths were not able to find any author to this poem. They concluded that she wrote the poem and so this could also be a defining feature about her that maybe she was a poet. And lastly, she did leave a suicide note that was typed out with a typewriter and it said, deceased by own hand, prefer no autopsy. Please order cremation with funds provided. Thank you, Jane Doe. With this, she provided two $50 bills, one for the coroner and one for the cemetery. This is unusual in my opinion because from what I have read with suicides, no one refers to themselves as Jane Doe. Well, either in some other cases, they refer to themselves as their alias or they just don't sign off anyways. So it's very clear that she wanted to be a Jane Doe. And then I also think that the two $50 bills that was very well prepared and a lot of people get stuck on the $50 for cremation and it was said in the podcast deviant the girls made a note that this was in fact an accurate estimate for the time it was a basic cremation with no um, urn or anything like that just the basic level can actually be $50. So I think it just goes to show that she was very, very prepared. So the official cause of death, and I do just want to give a trigger warning, I am going to talk about suicide, but as I said in the beginning, I'm not going to go into any like gory details or anything. This is just to kind of get an idea of this person and who she was. So she overdosed and she experienced asphyxiation. She drank brandy and to the point where she had a 0.14 blood alcohol level, almost double the legal limit. And she also took Valium, which combined is very dangerous. And then she also placed a bag over her head and tied it off with some duct tape. This goes to show that she wanted to get the job done and she was very serious about her decision. And also the Valium and the Brandy could have really put her in a state where she felt peaceful. And there's two very defining features of how she was found. Um, she had an 8-inch vertical scar across her abdomen starting in her sternum area all the way down past her belly button. A lot of people assume this was for a C-section, but as most of you will know, this really is not similar to C-section scars. I'm no doctor. I went to college for marketing, uh, so could be wrong, but from my understanding, 
a c-section scar is horizontal mm -hmm. and it's, it's below the belly button in most cases and so the fact that this is vertical and it reaches all the way up to her sternum really shows that maybe she had some type of surgery that was related to her colon or stomach in fact a lot of reddit users say that cancer patients who um, have cancer in their colon or cancer in their stomach get a similar scar whenever they are trying to get that cancerous portion removed and so that's just something to keep note of when looking at theories but also in wondering if you could be related to this woman or if you could know who this woman is so you can help identify her lastly about her body that was very very interesting to me was she had a bracelet that said do not resuscitate no code and no penicillin i think this is interesting because it goes to show that she probably had health issues beforehand and it seems that she just wanted to be brought back to life again potentially she didn't maybe she was allergic to penicillin or she or she didn't want to take penicillin to save her life there's something there where she had health issues in the past um, and she doesn't want to go through with life-saving procedures again so with that being said it's time to get into the theories so the first theory which is one that i certainly think is likely is that she is from belgium or at least europe and this is because one of the juice bottles that she had was from a different country found some reports saying that this juice bottle was actually available in the united states just days before her suicide so to me i feel like it's very unlikely that in virginia she was able to get this particular juice and this particular flavor and get it drink it before her suicide and bring it with her to um, military i think it's just very highly unlikely and i think that this really does suggest that she could be from a different country maybe brought it over or um, she did seek out this particular brand in the united states but i just again think it's so unlikely that she just stumbled across this brand and decided to bring it to her cemetery when just a few days beforehand it was finally allowed in the united states and then also her glasses were from that csl brand i don't know what it stands for but I do know that it was a European brand that, according to some reports, was big in Belgium. So that is something to consider as well with this theory. But overall, one of the biggest reasons I think this theory might be the case is because no locals were ever able to identify her and no one in the United States could identify her. And back then, in 1996, the police did contact the media to try to identify her, and they just experienced absolutely no luck, which is very unfortunate, but I do think that there is a good chance that she was from Belgium or Europe at least. Now, another theory is that she took her own life because she found out she had cancer again, hence the scar. So with that scar, perhaps she had cancer in the past and she took her own life because she didn't want to live through the cancer again. My grandma had cancer 
and she had it multiple times in the same area and I know what it's like for someone to hear that they have cancer again and prepare themselves for their really strenuous process and so I think that is certainly something that could have happened here maybe she wanted to take life into her own hands and she didn't want to go through with this there's a really big movement that suggests that like how we euthanize our pets we should be able to euthanize ourselves and while this is not a human rights podcast a lot of people do agree with her decision if this was the case And I do think that this was likely. She was surrounded by so many things that were probably very important to her, such as a Christmas tree, these comedy tapes that she was listening to. She was in a peaceful state with the Valium and um, her brandy. And then she also had that Minnie Mouse fanny pack. And I just think that she was in a very comfortable position. And I think this was very planned out. And so it definitely wasn't a rash decision where she was having anxiety attack and she just decided she couldn't handle it anymore. I do think that this was very planned out and there is a chance that it could have been cancer or some other chronic illness. I think that is definitely a good possibility. And the third theory that I do want to cover is that she was murdered and the suicide was a cover-up. Now, I personally don't agree with this theory. I think it's very unlikely. That's what they found her body and how she was listening to a tape. And I think maybe her family thought that she went to the United States for a job or something. And they slowly but surely cut ties and they don't even know that she passed away. I think that is a very highly likely theory. Was she really unlikely that this was a murder? Granted, I do think it would be a very clever way to cover up a murder. I just don't think that it's very likely. And I think that it's just way more likely that she did commit suicide because I do trust that the police would have been able to find some sort of evidence through all these years um, that it was a murder and not a suicide. I just think that all of the evidence goes to show that this was a very thought out suicide rather than a murder. So that brings us to where we are today, 24 years almost to the day later. Her DNA is currently being tested right now to hopefully find out her identity, which I'm for them to identify anyone without the GEDmatch database. This is a database that police officers and DNA analysts use to compare DNA and finally identify people. And I have submitted my DNA to them. It's super easy if you have done Ancestry DNA or if you have done 23andMe, something like that. It's super easy to just download your DNA data and send it over to GEDmatch. It's a safe database. They're not some sketchy company that's going to like clone you or anything. It's a database that truly helps Jean and John Doe's get their names back. And you, you might be their closest surviving family member and even though you never met them, you can still pay your respect to them and care about them while after they passed away. Go ahead and submit your DNA to GEDmatch. That's G-E-D match. Second, I do want to say that Annandale Jane Doe's face was recognizable. It's definitely disturbing looking at any 
deceased person, but her face was recognized. Like she's sleeping. It's not super disturbing, but it can be disturbing just knowing that she is dead. But if you are missing a family member and they disappeared in the mid to late 90s and they would be 74 to 94 today and she sounds like your family member, I do recommend looking at it unless you're going to get triggered by it, of course. So I wanted to point out that if you had a family member from Europe travel to the United States in this time and you never heard from them again, there is a chance that it could be her. So go and make sure you get your DNA submitted to GEDmatch and take a look at the picture if you're comfortable with it to see if it is your family member. Any information about who the Annandale Jane Doe is or if you have any substantial evidence that could lead to solving her that could lead to identifying her, please contact Ann Farrell or Christopher Flanagan at 703-691-2131. And both of their numbers are the same, so I'm assuming you just ask them to connect you to them. And this is for today's episode where NamUs and the Doe Network, that will probably be my primary sources for a majority of my cases. They're just awesome over there. Definitely check out both of them. And then also, I wanted to give a big shout out to two podcasts that release great episodes on the Annandale Jane Doe. Those are Trace Evidence and Devand. Both of them have very extensive episodes and they both go into the nitty gritty details. And again, my podcast will be mostly focused on identifying these people and bringing light to their cases. So I wanted to avoid that. But if you to get into all of the details of the case and, you know, talk some theories, conspiracy theories, those are definitely the podcasts to check out. Again, for tuning in to this first episode, I hope you loved it and I am very open to your feedback if you have any. I know that I am in dire need of some podcasting equipment and the editing could probably be better because it's just a one girl show right now because it's my first. Questions, concerns, or if you just want to chat with me, I have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Both are the Doe Identify Podcast. And then my email address is doeidentifypodcast at gmail.com. So write me, tag me, or anything like that. And I would love to have an open conversation about you. And also please tag me in Jane and John Doe cases that you would like me to cover. I'm in some Facebook groups but it's to cover smaller cases because I think those are the cases are the ones that are most likely to be solved because they just haven't gotten a lot of exposure. So please tag me in them. That would be so helpful for me from a content perspective and helpful for the Jane and John Does from an identifying perspective. So this first episode soon, I'm going to try to publish podcast episodes as much as possible. I do have a full-time job. I am a wife and so I have other things going on in my life but this is very important to me so I'm going to try to do at least every other week if not every week. So I'm hoping to have a really great frequency but I will see you all soon and be sure to follow me.